Well, our sermon text this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. We're going to read for the sake of context, uh, 15 all the way down to the end of the chapter, verse 22. And I'll ask if you're able to do so that you stand for the reading of God's holy word today. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. Give ear to the reading of God's word. It says, The Lord, the Lord your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that uh, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word uh, that the Lord has spoke has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. The sin is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again and ask God's blessing to us upon his word. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that you have given us this light to our feet and lamp to our path that we might know you that we might most importantly know the way of salvation through faith in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray once again that that you might, by your Spirit working in us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your Word. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Well, last uh, last Sunday, if you were here, you might remember that we have started just started a four-week uh, Advent sermon series called The Promise of Christmas. And what we're doing in these, these, uh, these weeks is we're spending some time looking at just a few of the more significant Old Testament texts that deal with the promise uh, of the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, last Sunday, we began that study in Genesis 3.15, uh, and that is the earliest, what's uh, known as the earliest uh, prophecy or promise of the coming of Christ and the gospel and scripture. And so what we saw last week and what we're going to see this week as well today is that the, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ didn't begin with the opening pages of the New Testament. The, the story of, of, of Christ's coming doesn't really begin in those opening chapters of Matthew's gospel and, and Luke's gospel and all the rest. It actually begins in the Old Testament. It begins in the earliest chapters of the earliest book in the Old Testament, as we saw last week in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and also, it, it's also something, it's a thread, the, the gospel of Christ, the promise of his coming, among other things, is really the thread that runs throughout the entire Old Testament. It, it's impossible to read and understand the Old Testament properly, rightly, if you miss Christ in its pages. He is the point of the entire Bible, not just the New Testament. Uh, and the, the primary text we're going to look at this morning is another very short text, really one verse we're going to focus on today, much like last week. And this, this verse is the, be, the beginning of the text I read. It's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, where Moses writes this. 
He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So how is this promise of a, pro- of a prophet like Moses? Moses is saying, you know, Moses is about to die. We're almost at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, you know, and, and what happens at the end is Moses dies. He doesn't get to go in the promised land. So Moses tells the people who are probably very conscious of the fact that Moses is not going to be with them much longer. He says, you know, in a sense, in, a, in some sense, he's saying, don't worry. You know, uh, God is going to raise up from among you, from among your brothers, another prophet, a prophet like me, not just a prophet, but a prophet like me. Well, how does that promise point to Jesus Christ? We're going to see this morning that uh, the apostles themselves in the pages of the New Testament actually point back to this text and say it's fulfilled in the coming of Christ himself, that that this this text is actually the main point of it is that it points to Jesus Christ, that he he is the ultimate prophet like Moses that was promised all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Well, the, the first thing we see in our text is the promise of a prophet, the promise of, of a prophet in this text. He says that, that there's a, a prophet who was to come and that the prophet that was to come was going to be raised up by, by the Lord himself. He was going to be raised up for the people of God, right? It's for their sake, for their good. He was going to be raised up by the Lord from among them from among their their brothers. And so this prophet, like any true prophet, uh, the first thing to notice is he's not going to be self-appointed. No prophet is. No no one that that speaks for God, that truly speaks for God, is self-appointed. Many many seek to do that. Many try to appoint themselves to to offices like that, but they are not from God. Uh, A prophet can't be self-appointed, but has to be raised up by God, a prophet, what does a prophet do? That's one of those words we probably throw around uh, and don't often spend the time, take the time to define our terms, which is very important to do. We use a lot of terms like that, like the word grace, uh, that we sometimes just assume everybody knows what we're talking about when we use it. Well, what does a prophet do? What's the main, if you could sum up the, the job description of a prophet, an actual prophet, what would, how would you sum it up? I'll, I'll try to give you the, the Cliff Notes version. A prophet speaks for God, literally. A prophet speaks God's word to the people, to God's people. In other words, that, that's his main role. His main role, you could say, is to represent God to the people, to tell them, to teach them, to lead them. That's what a prophet is meant to do. Now, Moses, you know, here you might think Moses is just kind of talking about in this text uh, a succession of prophets, that Moses... You could say that you might think he's saying all, all he's saying is I'm, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to be the last one. God will raise up another and then another and then another. There'll, there will always be prophets in the land to teach God's people uh, his ways, his commandments. Now, that, that, that's, that's certainly true, right? Did God raise up? Was Moses the last prophet? No, your whole Old Testament is filled with with people that are identified as prophets, people speaking the name of the Lord. Uh, in sincerity and truth to God's people. Um, you know, Moses was about to die, but he's saying, he's saying a lot more than there's going to be another one. There is going to be another one. There's going to be many more. Now, you know, did God leave the people without a prophet after Moses died? No, he raised up whom? Joshua, the very next book. Joshua, you know, in a lot of ways, was kind of the one that took the baton from Moses. Remember, Moses didn't get to go in the promised land. Joshua did. 
Joshua led that next generation. That whole generation died in the wilderness except two people, Caleb and Joshua. Joshua got to be the one that led them all the way in into the promised the promised land. Uh, but look at the very, if you, if you want to look at it, in Deuteronomy 34, the last chapter of the book, this is what the closing words of the book of Deuteronomy have to say, and this applies to Joshua and everyone else. It says, Deuteronomy 34, 9 through 12, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So what does the very end of the book tell us? There was a prophet that was to come and was it Joshua? No. Was, jo- was Joshua a prophet? Yes. What does it say? Moses laid his hands on him. You know, when you read there in verse 9 that he was full of the spirit of wisdom, uh, for Moses had laid his hands on him. That's Moses passing the baton. That's Moses kind of ordaining Joshua to office. Like he's, he's passing the baton and saying, this, this is the one that's going to lead you. And that being full of the, wis- of, of the spirit of wisdom I think we are to see that as the result, in some sense, of that laying on of hands. So he, he certainly was officially declaring Joshua to be uh, his successor in that sense. But at the very same passage, it says, and it says it twice, doesn't it? It says, there has not, at the end of the, the writing of Deuteronomy, it says, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And then it says again, in case we missed the point, none like him. Prophets, yes. A prophet like Moses, not yet. That's the main that's the main point. So he was a prophet, but Joshua was a prophet, but he was not the prophet like Moses that was promised here in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Well, the next thing you might notice from our this little verse is not just the promise of a prophet, but it's the promise of a prophet, particularly one that would be like Moses. A prophet like Moses. That's what was promised. So, there, in other words, one particular prophet is being promised here. There is one in particular that God is promising here, and this prophet would be like Moses. Now, you might not think much of, of, of saying something like that. You might think, well, you know, Moses was a prophet, Isaiah was a prophet, Jeremiah was a prophet, Samuel was a prophet, you know, all the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all those, all those ones and we might be tempted to think of them all kind of uh, as, as equals. You know, you speak for the Lord, you speak for the Lord, right? There's no saying God's word more than someone else. If you're saying God's word, you're speaking God's word in his, uh, as he commanded them to do. But, but you could say legitimately that Moses was in a very real sense head and shoulders above all the other prophets in Israel. As great as they were, Moses was, was tops. Moses was the, the number one prophet in a lot of, of, of sense. In fact, that's the way that God himself viewed and spoke of, of Moses. You know, the rest of the prophets, all the rest in, in your Old Testament, uh, they no less than Moses spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, Peter says. They no less than Moses also said things like, thus saith the Lord. In other words, they gave God's word directly to the people. 
God told them what to say, and they, they gave God's, God's message undiluted, unchanged, unfiltered at all. Uh, they gave the very words of God. They were God's messengers. They were God's ambassadors. But even that being said, Moses was greater than all the rest. That's what that's the testimony of God himself to Moses was that Moses was greater than all rest. How was Moses different or how was Moses greater than the other prophets? And in and, and, and thinking of that in, in the same way, how is Christ to be like him and not like the others in that same way? In, in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 12, verses six through eight, Numbers 12, six through eight, we read the following. He says, and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. You know, you read Isaiah, for instance, and you see a lot of visions. You see a lot of dreams and things. Not so, he goes on to say, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, you know, face to face. Clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? People were rebelling against Moses, and God said, you don't know who you're messing with. Think about all, you know, what Moses gets to do, and you dare raise your hand against Moses. And what does God say in the midst of this rebuke? He's saying, of all the prophets, is there ever one like this that I speak with? mouth-to-mouth or face-to-face, that I speak to clearly and not just in visions and riddles and all these kinds of things. Moses was special. In in some way, Moses was preeminent preeminent above all the prophets in the Old Testament. Gerhardus Voss, an old Dutch theologian, goes goes as far as to say this. He calls Moses, or he says of Moses, he may fitly be called the Redeemer of the Old Testament. Nearly all the terms in use for the redemption of the New Testament can be traced back to his time. He's right. Your, your salvation and mine, in a lot of ways, what is the salvation event in the Old Testament? The Exodus. It's a picture of our salvation from slavery to sin. It's, it's, our salvation is, is greater than that, but, but that's what it's a picture of. That's where we get a lot of the terms that we that we use to speak of salvation and redemption. Moses, in a sense, he's not the Savior, the Lord's the Savior, but he was the Redeemer or the Savior of Israel. He's the one that went there, got the people out of slavery, and led them uh, at least to, to the promised land. He wasn't the Redeemer, but he was the picture of the one who was to come. And so this promise of a prophet like Moses here in our text in Deuteronomy 18 um, it, it wasn't just a promise of a prophet. It was the promise of a preeminent prophet in the mold of Moses himself, who was kind of the redeemer of the Old Testament, one who spoke from God like Moses did, like no other prophet did, not just one of many. This was the prophecy, a prophecy of the Messiah himself. Matthew Henry, you always hear me quote him, the great Puritan commentator writes this, whether a succession of prophets be included in this promise or not, we are sure that it is primarily intended as a promise of Christ. And here's this. And it is the clearest promise of him that is in all the law of Moses. This is a huge text. If, I've, I've told people before, I don't know if you're the kind of person that highlights in your Bible or something. If you don't, you don't have to start now. But if you're a highlighter, if you're the person that marks up your Bible, this verse should be marked. 
This is one of the big ones. This is one of the ones that should jump off the page. When you think of prophecies of Christ in your Old Testament, this is one of the biggest and one of the primary ones. Henry goes on to say this. Moses, Moses was such a prophet as was a lawgiver to Israel, right? And their deliverer out of Egypt, and so was Christ. He not only teaches, but rules and saves. Moses was like the king of Israel before they had a king. He, he led what he said went. What God told him to say, he did. And he's the one that, that fought against their enemies, in a sense, and delivered them out of Egypt. Well, what about the advent or the coming of this prophet like Moses? When did, that, when did this prophet finally come onto the scene of redemptive history? When did the Lord raise him up from among his brothers, among the people of Israel? Well, obviously, this took place at the coming of Jesus Christ all those years Ago. Now, what about the people of Israel? Did the people of Israel have some concept of this prophet that was to come? Did they, did they get, at least in some way, the message of Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15? They, they did. In John 6, verse 14, uh, we find out that Israel, they didn't maybe know everything, the people of Israel, but they knew enough to be watching for this one to come. Even in the first century, all these years and years and years later, you know, what, 1,500 years or whatever it was, after this promise was given in Deuteronomy, they were still waiting for him. It says this, John 6:14. This is after the feeding of the 5,000, which is a very Moses-like miracle, isn't it? Moses fed the people in the middle of nowhere. This is what it says, John 6:14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, that's the feeding of the 5,000, they said, this is indeed what? The prophet who is to come into the world. They, got, they weren't wrong. They're saying this is him. And why did they say this is him? They recognized the miracle that Jesus did as being very similar to something that Moses had done. Where did Moses, or where did God use Moses, to feed the people of Israel in the middle of the wilderness? Right? Bread from heaven. Where did Jesus feed the 5,000? In the middle of the wilderness. I mean, if that, you know, and, and one of the texts says the 5,000 didn't include in the number the women and children. So there were, who knows, 15,000 people, you know, conservatively speaking, maybe, that, that he fed. That's a lot of people that you feed with one small boy's lunch. That's a miracle. It's a very astounding miracle. And they, they weren't dumb. They said, hey, this, this reminds us of Moses. Maybe this is the one like Moses that was promised all that time. They didn't say a prophet. Lots of people call Jesus a prophet, Right? Lots of people we've seen in the Gospel of Mark as we're going through, what do they call Jesus all the time? Teacher. It, they, it's a feigned sign of respect. They don't really mean it. Lots of people claim to give Jesus you know, the title of prophet or teacher. The, 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 those of, of Islam, they call Jesus a prophet. Now, do they call Jesus this kind of prophet? No. Would they say Jesus is the ultimate prophet sent by God? No. They would say he's one among many and maybe not even one of the greatest ones among Many of the apostles themselves. What did they have to say about this, our text? After the resurrection and ascension of Christ, uh, they, the apostles themselves, Peter no less, testified that Jesus was the fulfillment of this promise. In Acts chapter 3, verses 22 to 26, Peter tells the crowd this, Moses said, and he quotes our, our verse here, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. What days? The days they were in. 
when Peter was preaching to them on the day of Pentecost. Is you, he says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What's, what's Peter saying? This is that. This Jesus who you crucified by the hands of wicked men and who raised from the grave on the third day, who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, this is that prophet. He's the one that was prophesied and promised of by Moses all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. He says, he quotes him, he says, the Lord God, Moses said, will raise up for you a prophet like me. And what does he say at the last part there? God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. He raised him up in more senses than one, right? He, he put him there, but he also raised him from the grave. Jesus is the prophet that God raised up from among Israel to turn them from their wickedness. And what did Jesus say to the unbelieving Jews in John chapter 5? You see, these themes are, are repeating themselves in Scripture in the New Testament. John 5, 45 to 47, Jesus says this to the unbelieving Jews. He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. It's not what they thought, right? They thought Moses was on their side. He says, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote of me. Who did Moses write about? Jesus. And then he says, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Moses, the preeminent prophet of the Old Testament, wrote about, wrote of Jesus. Where did he do that? A better question might be, where did he not do that? But, you know, perhaps the chief place in all of his writings that he wrote of Christ is our text. When Jesus said, Moses wrote of me, he almost certainly had this text, among others, in mind. Jesus was self-conscious. He, he knew he was the fulfillment of this prophecy and promise of the Redeemer that was to come. Well, the next thing we see is not just a prophet, not just a prophet like Moses, but Jesus is a prophet far greater than Moses, far greater than Moses. He's the ultimate prophet, the Son of God himself, sent to be God's final word to man for our salvation. Listen to the words, the opening words of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Probably a very familiar text, but this is how this, this whole epistle opens. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Right? But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He spoke by prophets and then he ratcheted, ratcheted things all the way up and spoke to us through his, by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Something you can never say of Moses, right? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's Moses and there's Jesus. Jesus is, is superior to angels, not to mention Moses. It's a lot of the point of the book of Hebrews. A lot of the time that's spent in the book of Hebrews is showing just those things. That Christ is far superior, preeminent to even angels and Moses himself. 
The prophet like Moses was to be even greater than Moses. And in Moses, what did God do? God, what does Hebrews say? In Moses, God spoke through a servant, right? But in Jesus Christ, how does God speak to us? Through his own son. Through his own son himself. Hebrews chapter 3. This is like a survey of Hebrews, apparently. Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. Uh, the whole point here is to make, to make us know and understand the preeminence of Christ over even Moses. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses, there it is again, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as a builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Excuse me. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Here it is again. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And if we are his house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting uh, in our hope. Now notice there, twice in the passage there, twice in Hebrews 3, 1 to 6, the writer of the book of Hebrews points us back to that passage in Numbers 12, doesn't he? Number, the, the point of Numbers 12 was to say that Moses was faithful in all God's house. He, in other words, that, that may sound like an odd phrase to us, but he's saying Moses is the ultimate prophet in the Old Testament. That's what that passage is saying. The writer of Hebrews picks up on it and says twice reminds us that Moses was what? Faithful in all God's house. He tells it to us uh, twice. And why does he do that? He wants to remind us that Moses was preeminent to all the other Old Testament prophets. But what's the main point? His main point is that he's trying to show us that Jesus is even greater than that. That Jesus is greater than even Moses, which should make... You know, any, any Jew in the Old Testament times would make their jaw hit the floor. Jesus wasn't just on par with Moses. Jesus far surpasses, surpasses uh, the glory and, and use of God of, of Moses himself. Moses was faithful like no other prophet in God's house as a servant. Jesus Christ, however, is faithful what? Over God's house as a son. That's how much greater Jesus is than Moses. The Shorter Catechism speaks of Christ, uh, actually as the title of Christ, is possessing a threefold, what we call threefold office. Now, what's an office? An office means a title or a role or a function. And what are those three offices that Christ fulfills and holds and executes? Prophet, priest, and king. Question 23 says, what offices does Christ execute or fulfill as our Redeemer, Christ, answer, Christ, as our Redeemer, executes the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king, both in his estate of humiliation, that's his, his, his suffering on this earth, his death and burial, and his exaltation. So in everything Jesus did in his earthly ministry and continues to do now, he's serving as three things for our salvation, as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. Charles Hodge the old Princeton theologian explains why this matters. Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you've never heard prophet, priest, and king. Uh, here's, here's why it matters. Uh, in other words, those, those offices in the Old Testament, the priesthood, the, the king, the royal, the, the royal line, the kings, and the prophets, 
they're all meant to point forward to the one who is the ultimate form of all of them. They're, they're all meant to point forward to Christ. Hodge says this, We as fallen men, ignorant, guilty, polluted, and helpless, need a Savior who is a prophet to instruct us, a priest to atone and make intercession for us, and a king to rule over and protect us. And the salvation which we receive at his hands includes all that a prophet, priest, and king in the highest sense of these terms can do. We are enlightened in the knowledge of the truth. We are reconciled unto God by the sacrificial death of his son. And we are delivered from the power of Satan introduced into the kingdom of God, all of which supposes that our Redeemer is to us at once prophet, priest, and king. In other words, everything you saw prophets, priests, and kings throughout the Old Testament doing, and doing very fallibly, right? But in, in a greater sense, Jesus, th those things were just a picture of what Jesus was going to come to be and to do for our salvation. That's why those offices were ever even existing in the Old Testament, was to point forward to the one who was to come. So Jesus, another way of summing all this up is to say that Jesus Christ uh, has done, is doing, and shall always do completely everything that is necessary for our salvation from sin. He is our Savior from first to last. And all of this kind of leads to the question, that, you know, how does this apply to us? Is this all theoretical? Is this all just nice to know kind of stuff? Why does it matter that Jesus is this prophet like Moses? How does this apply to you and to me personally? The scripture, what does it say there in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 18? To him, it is to him you shall or must listen. It is to, to him, this prophet like Moses, which we know is Jesus Christ. It is to him you must or shall listen. Even as the voice from heaven said at Jesus' transfiguration. Remember with the transfiguration? You know, they're on, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the hill. Uh, the rest of them are down, you know, waiting. And he's transfigured before them. He's shining, you know, his clothing is whiter than any bleach could possibly bleach them. And who's there with him? Moses and Elijah. And what's happening? They're glowing. You know, Moses had already glowed once before in the Old Testament, right? When he got the, the Ten Commandments. Jesus is shining, you're probably blinding them, you know, kind of thing. You know, Paul can sympathize with that kind of a vision also as well. Um, but what did the voice from heaven say? The voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Mark chapter 9, verse 7. Not an accident that, that the voice from heaven said that. Listen to him. What does it remind you of? What does it point you back to? Our text, Deuteronomy 18 and 15. It is to him you shall, you must, listen. So I asked this morning, have you listened to him? Have you listened to and believed in Jesus, the Son of God, this prophet like Moses, whom God has sent for our salvation? He speaks to you even now from heaven. Did you know that? You know, it, it's, it, sometimes you read this and you think, oh, well, you know, sure, Jesus spoke on this earth. But you know, that was 2,000 years ago almost now in our day. So what does it matter? No, he speaks now. How does Jesus Christ, the prophet, the, revel the revelation of God as his son, how does he speak to you now? Through his word and through the preaching of his word. Jesus still speaks by his word and by his spirit in the scriptures and in the preaching, the faithful preaching of his holy word. As God himself tells Moses back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 19, whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. 
Same thing that Peter said in Acts 2. In, not, in a little bit different words, but he says, you know, whoever does not listen to this prophet will be destroyed from among the people. It's life and death. We, ha- we must listen to and believe in the Son of God, whom God has sent for our salvation, the one who reveals God to us. You must listen to and heed the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures and in the preaching of his word. So have you, have you come to him to have life in his name? That's the question. Have you come to Jesus Christ by faith? There is salvation in no other name. He is the Savior that was promised all the way back in Genesis 3, as well as Deuteronomy 18 and all kinds of other texts in the Old Testament. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these promises and prophecies of Jesus Christ that uh, are fulfilled so marvelously in him and in only him and fulfilled perfectly in him. No other, no other man that ever walked this earth perfectly fulfills even close to all these prophecies and promises that you gave in your word, except your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you praise that you, you have not left uh, your people in the dark, but you have sent prophets in your Old Testament, apostles in the New, and you mostly, most importantly sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that by him you have spoken to us in these last days by your son, And you have done that for our salvation, that we might turn from our sins and believe in him for salvation and life eternal and abundant in his name. And we do pray for anybody here this morning that does not possibly yet know you, that you might make even today the day of their salvation, that you might open their eyes, give them grace by your spirit to listen, to hear and listen to the voice of your son, even now preaching through your word, that they might come to him by faith and have life in his name. We pray all this for his glory. Amen.